0: All right, why don't we start from the beginning because I finally found a good copy. This is from, I don't know, but it's a PDF, so that's, I should have stuck with PDF. Let's begin. The Screw Tape Letters. Letters from a Senior to a Junior Devil by C.S. Lewis, Professor of English Literature fellow of Magdalene College, Oxford. Oxford University, 1925 to 1954. After that, he was professor of medieval and Renaissance literature at Cambridge University, which is also a part of the Magdalene College. At the same time, I guess parentheses was saying. From 1954 to 1963, he was a member of the quote-unquote Inklings, Inklings, I-N-K-L-I-N-G-S, and it is a club they started just because they, you know, of their other people. You have, you'll probably know all the other names of the members, such as J.R. Tolkien's as in Lord of the Rings, yep. As in most of the writers of that period, very, very, um, yeah. Anyways, Latin. Something says, "Diabolus, superbus, spiritus, comma, quad feri non possunt, comma, ad illudendum." The year of our Lord MMXVI, Samazdat University Press. Next page. And there's a nice picture of a guy in a workshop bench working on something. The Screw Tape Letters was initially published chapter slash letter by chapter in the Guardian. The Guardian. On May 2nd, 1941, based on the public domain e-text provided by Gutenberg Canada eBooks, the text was produced by Marcia Books, Mark Eggridge, Stephen Hetchinson, and the online distributed proofreading Canadian team. SamadStat May 2016, public domain under Canadian copyright law. This file may not be sold or packaged with any product or application for sale, period. Samadocs, ebooks, 2016, font, ancient, Larry Lee, Jeffrey Lee, LTC, Gaudi initials, Frederick Gaudi, Strange News Firorag, make, what, okay, whatever. Disclaimer. This ebook is for use of anyone anywhere at no cost. Copyright laws in your country also govern what you can do with this work. Copyright laws in most countries are in a constant state of flux. Are you? If you are outside of Canada, check the laws of your country before downloading, copying, displaying, formatting, distributing, or creating derivative works based on this Simat that's ebook. Simat that's makes no claims regarding the copyright status of any work in any country outside of Canada. Okay, good. Let's proceed. The J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, see, I told you to his best friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. Quote The best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to texts of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. That's from your favorite friend, Luther. What does Thomas Moore have to say about it? The devil. The proud. P-R-O-W-D-E. Like on the prowl. The proud spirit, they cannot endure to be mocked. Period. So mock them. Kind of like in Harry Potter. Preface. I have no intention of explaining how the correspondence, which I now offer to the public, fell into my hands. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. Devils, period. One is to disbelief in their existence. Landscape view, hold on. There There are two equal and opposite errors in which into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelief in their existence. They don't exist. The other is to believe. Yeah. Okay. And to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and halt and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Hail, materialist. Hail, magician. Yeah, we like both of them. The sort of script which is used in this book can be very easy obtained by anyone who has once learned the knack. But ill-disposed or excitable people who might make a bad use of it, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, warning, warning, shall not learn it from me. Readers are advised to remember, Mamrie, that the devil is a liar, 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 as Jenning likes to say, not everything, not everything that screw tape says should be assumed to be true, even from his own angle. I have made no attempt to identify any of the human beings mentioned in this letter, but I think it very unlikely that the portraits, say, of Father Spike or the patient's mother are wholly just, okay? But I think it's very unlikely that the portraits of these people are wholly just. There is wishful thinking in hell as well as on earth. In conclusion, I ought to add that no effort has been made to clear up the chronology of these letters, like number, what is it, XV117, uh, 17, number 17 appears to have been composed before rationing became serious. But In general, because this is during World War II, okay, or World War I, one of them. But in general, the diabolical method of dating seems to bear no relevance to terrestrial time. No time, no space! Okay, great. And I have not attempted to reproduce it. The history of the European war, there it is, except in so far as it happens now and then to impugn upon the spiritual condition of one human being. That's just a backdrop, but focus is what the one human being was obviously of no interest to screw tape so okay let's start c.s lewis magdalene college july 5th 1941. next page contents there are how many sections of this 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 19, 18, 19 20 25 25 20 30 31 68 pages. It's long, I'm telling you. Oh, there's a gargoyle. Nice gargoyle. Ruff ruff. That's what I, that's the picture Father Aylar put in my head. He said gargoyles are there to prevent the devils from coming to you because they don't like to see themselves. (laughs) They're like alpha lions that don't want to share their territory. Is that correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. That's why you're here. Okay, good enough. Chapter one. I see a nice lion head with cherubims and two trees. Mm Mm-hmm. They both have fruit on them. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll see. My dear Wormwood, I note what I say about guiding your patient's reading and taking care that he sees a good deal of his materialistic friend. But are you not being a trifle niff? It sounds as if you supposed that argument was the way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. That might have been so if he had lived a few centuries earlier. At that time, the humans still knew pretty well when a thing was proved and when it was not. And if it was proved, they really believed it. They still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as a result of a chain of reasoning. But what with the weekly press and other such weapons, we have largely altered that. Yeah. Your man has been accustomed, ever since he was a boy, to a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing around all together in his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or, quote-unquote, false, but as, quote-unquote, academic or, quote-unquote, practical or, quote-unquote, outworn or, quote-unquote, contemporary or, quote-unquote, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is jargon is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true, okay? Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous. That it is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. The trouble about argument is that it moves the whole struggle into the enemy's ground. He cannot, he can argue too. He can argue too. Whereas, in really practical ad- propaganda, whereas in really practical propaganda of the kind I am suggesting, he has shown for centuries to be greatly the inferior of our father below. By the very fact of arguing, you wake the patient's reason, and, once it is awake, Who can foresee the result? Even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so as to end in our favor, you will find that you have been strengthening in your patient the fatal habit of attending to universal issues and withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experiences. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream. Teach him to call it, quote, real life, unquote. And don't let him. Ask what it means by quote unquote real. Period. Remember, he is not like you, a pure spirit. Never having been a human, oh, that abominable advantage of the enemies. Not having been a human, you don't realize how enslaved they are to the pressure of the ordinary. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day, as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind, beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years' work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun Again begun to attempt a defense by argument, see, I should have been undone, but I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control, and suggested that. Uh, It was just about the time he had some lunch, yeah. The enemy, presumably, made the counter-suggestion, you know how one can never quite overhear what he says to them, you know. Anyways, the enemy, presumably, made the counter-suggestion that this was more important than lunch, I think, at least I think that must have been his line for when I said, quote, quite, quite, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of a morning, Unquote. See, the patient brightened up considerably, and by the time I had added, quote, oh, much better. I'll come back after lunch and uh, go into it with a fresh mind, <laughs> He was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting at the midday paper and, uh, oh, a number seven, deep three bus going past. And uh, before he reached the bottom of the stairs, I had got into him an unalterable conviction that, oh, whatever odd ideas one might have come to in one's mind when he was shut up alone in his books. Oh, a healthy dose of real life unquote, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh, whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone in his books, a healthy dose of, quote, real life, unquote, was enough to show him that all, quote, that sort of thing, unquote, just wasn't, just couldn't be true period. He knew, he, you know he, he knew he'd had a narrow escape and in later years was found of talking about, quote, that inarticulate sense For actuality, which is our ultimate safeguard against the aberrations of mere logic period. (laughs) He is now safe in our father's house. Next paragraph. You begin to see the point. Thanks to processes which we set at work in them centuries ago, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. Above all, do not attempt to use science i mean the real stories in parentheses above all do not attempt to use science as a defense against christianity christianity do not use science as a do not attempt to use science as a defense against christianity They will positively encourage him to think about realities he cannot touch and see. There have been sad cases among the modern physicists. If he must dabble in science, keep him in economics and sociology. Don't let him get away from that invaluable, quote, real life, unquote, period. But the best of all is to let him read no science, but to give him a grand general idea that he knows it all and that some, and that everything he happens to have picked up in casual car talk and readings is, quote, the results of modern investigation, unquote, period. Do remember, you are there to fuddle him. From the way some of you young fiends talk, anyone would suppose it was your job to teach. Your affectionate uncle screwed deep. Beep. Chapter Two My Dear Wormwood. Pause. All right. Chapter Two My Dear Wormwood. I note with grave displeasure, displeasure, that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, it is quite invisible these humans. All there, all your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the oh, local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, uh, yeah, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and even, and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees, a uh, just that, selection of his neighbors whom he has uh, hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like, quote, the body of Christ, unquote, and the actual faces in the next pew. You know, body of Christ. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people the next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior in the enemy's side. No matter, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors, um, sing out of tune or have one have boots that squeak or double chins, or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. At his present stage, you see, he has an idea of quote-unquote Christians in his mind, which he supposes to be spiritual, but which in fact are largely pictorial. His mind is full of togas and sandals and armor and bare legs and the mere fact that the other people in church wear modern clothes is a real, though of course an unconscious, a real difficulty to him. Unconscious difficulty. Never let it come to the surface. Never let him ask what he expected them to look like. Keep everything hazy in his mind now, and you will have all eternity wherewithin to amuse yourself by producing in him the peculiar kind of Clarity, which hell affords uh, work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during the first few weeks as a church man. Uh-huh. Uh, the enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy has been enchanted in the nursery by, oh, you know, the one entitled Stories from the Odyssey, buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task of learning to live together. You know, that... In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming apparitions, dreaming aspirations, to laborious doing. Mm. You know, the enemy takes this risk because he has a curious fantasy. Of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls his quote, free unquote, lovers and servants. Quote, Sons unquote, is the word he uses. With his inveterate love of Degrading the whole spiritual world by unnatural liaisons with the two-legged animals. Desiring their freedom, he therefore refuses to carry them by their mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. You know, he leaves them to, quote, do it on their own, unquote, period. And there lies our opportunity. But also, remember, there lies our danger. If once they get through this initial dryness successfully, they become much less independent on emotional and therefore much harder to tempt. I have been writing hitherto the on the assumption that the people in the next pew afford no rational ground for disappointment. Of course, if they do, if the patient knows that the woman with the absurd hat is a fanatic bridge player, or the man with the squeaky boots is a uh, miserable, is a, is, a, is a miser and an uh, extortioner, then your task is much easier. All you then have to do is to keep out of his mind the question. The question. The c- c- question. Quote, "Hmm, if I, being what I am, can consider that I am, in some sense, a Christian, why should the different vices of these people in the next pew prove that their religion is mere hypocrisy and convention? Question mark, unquote. You may ask whether it is possible to keep such an obvious thought from occurring even to a human mind. It is Wormwood. It is. Handle him properly. And it simply won't come into his head. He has not been anything like long enough with the enemy to have any real humility yet. What he says, even on his knees, about his own sinfulness is all parrot talk. At the bottom, at bottom, he believes—he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance, yeah, in the enemy's ledger, by uh, allowing himself to be converted. Woohoo! And uh, thinks that he is uh, showing great humility and uh, condescension and going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep him in that state of mind as long as you can. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Peep. Chapter 3 coming up. As long as I can switch Siri upside the ding down on the screen. Chapter 3. My dear Wormwood, I am very pleased by what you tell me about this man's relationship with his mother. But you must press your advantage. The enemy. Ma. The enemy will be working from the center outwards gradually bringing more and more of the patient's conduct under the new standard and may reach his behavior to his old late to the old lady at any moment you can get it, you can, you want to get in first, keep in close touch with our colleague, uh, what's his name? Glubos. Glubos, Glubos, who is in charge of the mother and build up between you in, the, in that house, a good, settled habit of mutual annoyance, you know, daily pinpricks. Okay, the following methods are useful. One, two, three, four, four, okay, four, uh-huh. one of four. Keep this in mind on the inner life. He thinks his conversion is something inside. He and his intention is therefore chiefly turned at present to the states of his own mind. Or rather to that very expurgated expurgated version of them, expurgated, purge-aided, expurgated version of them, which is all you should allow him to see. Encourage this. Keep his mind off the most elementary duties by directing it to the most advanced and spiritual ones Yeah, aggravate that most useful human characteristic. Uh, The horror and uh, neglect of the obvious. Aggravate that most useful human characteristic. The horror and neglect of the obvious neglected, be in horror of the (gasps) obviously neglected. You must bring him to a condition in which he can practice self-examination for an hour without discovering any of those facts about himself which are perfectly clear to anyone who has ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office. Number two, it is, no doubt, impossible to prevent his praying for his mother. But we have means of rendering the prayers innocuous. Make sure that they are always very spiritual, quote, spiritual, unquote. I'm so spiritual. That he is always concerned with the state of her soul, never with her rheumatoidus. Two advantages will follow. In the first place, his attention will be kept on what he regards as her sins. By which, with a little guidance from you, he can be induced to mean any of her actions which are inconvenient or irritating to himself, you see. Uh, What again? Okay. In the first place, his attention will be kept on what he regards as her sins. His attention will be kept on what he regards. Keep his attention on her sins. By which, with a little guidance from you, with a little, you guide him, he can be induced. Induce him to mean any of her actions. Make him think her actions, her sins. What, what? What? What am I talking about? Anything that irritates you? I don't care. Pick some. Thus, you can keep rubbing the wounds of the days of the day. The wounds of the day. Mm-hmm. Thus, you can keep rubbing the wounds of the day a little soarer even while he is on his knees. The operation is not at all difficult and you will find it very entertaining. In the second place, since his ideas about her soul will be very crude and often erroneous, he will, in some degree, be praying for an imaginary person and will be and it will be your task to make that imaginary person daily less and less like the real mother oh you know the sharp-tongued old lady at the breakfast table in time you may get the cleavage so wide that no thought or feeling from his prayers for the imaginary mother will ever flow over into his treatment of the real one, you see. I have had patients of mine own, my own, so well in hand that they could be turned at a moment's notice from impassioned, impassioned prayer for a wife's or son's soul to beating or insulting the real wife or son without a qualm. Three. When... Two humans have lived together for many years. It usually happens that each has tones of voices, tones of voice, tones of voice, and expressions of face, which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. it. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in the nursery. And uh, let him think how much he dislikes it. Mm-hmm. Let him uh, assume that she knows how annoying it is. Assume it. And does it to annoy If you know your job, he will not notice, I will not notice, the immense improbability of the assumption. I won't notice how improbable it is. And, and, of course, of course, never let him suspect, I don't suspect anything, that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, I can't see or hear myself, this is easily managed. Four. In civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself by saying things which would appear quite harmless on paper. The words are not offensive, in parentheses. Uh, In civilized life, domestic hatred, we're civilized, but we have domestic hatred. In civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself By saying things which would appear quite harmless on paper, or the words are not offensive, but in such a voice or at such a moment that they are not far short of a blow in the face. To keep this game up, you and Glubus must see to it that each of these two fools has a sort of double standard. Double standard.
1: Your
0: patient must demand. That all his own utterances are to be taken at their face value and judge simply on the actual words while at the same time judging all his mother's utterances with the fullest and most oversensitive <gasps> interpretation of the tone and the context <gasps> in such a and the suspected intention hmm. she must be encouraged to do the same. To him, hence, from every quarrel, they can both go away convinced, or very nearly convinced, that they are quite innocent. You know the kind of thing. You know, quote, I simply ask her what time dinner will be, and she flies off in a temper. Like that. Once this habit is well established, you have the delightful situation of a human saying things with the express purpose of offending. Yeah. And yet, having a grievance when offense is taken. Finally, Tell me something about the old lady's religious position. Is she at all jealous of the new factor in her son's life? At all, piqued, 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 that he should have learned from others and so late, what she considers. She gave him such good opportunity of learning in childhood? Does she feel he is making a great deal of, quote-unquote, fuss about it? Does she feel he is making a great deal of fuss about it or, or that he is getting in on very easy terms? Um, Remember the elder brother in the enemies story, uh-huh? Your affectionate Uncle Screw Tape. Beep End of Chapter Three Chapter Four, My Dear Wormwood. The amateurish suggestions in your last letter. Warn me that it is high time for me to write to you fully on the painful subject of prayer. You might have spared the comment that my advice about his prayers for his mother, quote, proved singularly unfortunate, unquote, period. That is not the sort of thing that a nephew should write to his uncle, nor a junior tempter to the uncle under secretary of a department. It also reveals an unpleasant desire to shift responsibility. You must learn to pay your own for your own blunders. the best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. When the patient is an adult recently reconverted to the enemy's party like your man, this is best done by encouraging him to Remember or to think he remembers, to think he remembers the parrot like nature of his prayers in childhood. Parrot like. In reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous in reaction against that inward, informal, and unregularized. And what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in himself a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part One of their poets, I think his name is Cole Ridge, has recorded that he did not pray, uh, quote, with moving lips and bent knees, oh no, quote, but merely, quote, composed his spirit in love, unquote, and indulged, quote, a sense of supplication, period, unquote. That is exactly the sort of prayer we want. And since it bears a superficial resemblance to the prayers of silence, as practiced by those who are very far advanced in the enemy's service, clever and lazy patients can be taken in by it for quite a long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes oh no difference to their pairs for they constantly forget what you must always remember that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, they're In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. If this fails, you must fall back on a subtler misdirection of his intention. Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated, but there are ways of preventing them from doing so. Uh, The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him, towards themselves, yeah, keep them watching their own minds and uh, trying to produce feelings, oh, feelings, thereby, thereby, the action of their own wills, yeah, by the action of their own wills. When they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they are doing. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave when they say when they say they are praying for forgiveness let them be trying to feel forgiveness
1: yeah yeah
0: teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling And never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. But of course, the enemy will not meantime be idle wherever there is prayer there is danger of his own immediate action. He is cynically indifferent to the dignity of his position and ours as pure spirits. And to human animals on their knees, he pours out self-knowledge in a quiet, shameless form. But, even if he defeats your first attempt at misdirection, Mm. we have a subtler weapon. The humans do not start from that direct perception of him, which we unhappily cannot avoid. They have never known that ghastly luminosity, that stabbing and searing glare, which makes the background of permanent pain to our lives. If you look into your patient's mind when he is praying, you will not find that. If you examine the object to which he is attending, you will find that it is a composite object containing many quite ridiculous ingredients. There will be images derived from pictures of the enemy as he appeared during his discreditable episode known as the Incarnation. There will be vaguer, perhaps quite savage and puerile images associated with the other two persons. There will even be some of his own reverence in parentheses and of bodily sensations accompanying it in parentheses. There will even be some of his own reverence objectified and attributed to the object revered. I have known cases where what the patient call his gad was actually located up and to the left at the corner of the bedroom ceiling or inside his own head or in a crucifix on the wall. But whatever the nature of that, of the composite object. You must keep him from praying to it. All right. I have known cases where the per, where what the per, I have known cases where what the patient called his god was actually located... was actually to the thing that he has made, not to the person who has made him. Yeah. You may even encourage him to attach great importance to the correction and improvement of his composite object and to keeping it steadily before his imagination during the whole prayer for if he ever comes to make the distinction if ever he consciously directs his prayers quote not to what i think thou art but to what thou knowest thyself to be, unquote. If you hear that, our situation is for the moment desperate. Once all his thoughts and images have been flung aside, or if retained, retained with a full recognition of their merely subjective nature, and the man trusts himself to the completely real, external, invisible presence there with him in the room and never knowable by him as he is known by it, why then it is that the incalculable may occur. Okay, in avoiding the situation, this real nakedness of the soul in prayer, you will be helped by the fact that the humans themselves do not desire it as much as they suppose. All right, there's such a thing as getting more than they bargained for your affectionate uncle. Screw tape. Beep. End of chapter four. Third time around, that's why it's, my, it's not my first time reading this thing. That's why. No, I mean, you're a say. Yes, I do. Chapter five. My dear Wormwood, it is a little bit disappointing to expect a detailed report on your work, and to receive instead such a vague rhapsody as your last letter. You say you are delirious with joy because the European humans have started another of their wars. I see very well what has happened to you. You are not delirious. You are only drunk. Reading between the lines in your last unbalanced account of the patient's sleepless night, I can reconstruct your state of mind fairly accurately. For the first time in your career, You have tasted that wine, which is the reward of all your labors. Namely, the anguish and bewilderment of a human soul. And it has gone to your head. I can hardly blame you. I do not expect old heads on young shoulders. Did the patient respond to some of your terror pictures of the future? Hmm? Did you, in some good self-pitying glances at the happy past, hmm, some fine thrills in the pit of his stomach, were there? You played your violin prettily, didn't you? Well, well. It's all very natural, but do remember, Wormwood, that duty comes before pleasure. If any present self-indulgence on your part leads to the ultimate loss of the prey, P-R-E-Y, You will be left eternally thirsting for that draught of which you are now so much enjoying your thirst. If, on the other hand, by steady and cool-headed application here, and now you can finally secure his soul, you will then be yours. He will then be yours forever. A brimful living chalice of despair and horror and astonishment which you can raise to your lips as often as you please so do not allow any temporary excitement to distract you from the real business of undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues give me without fail give me without fail in your next letter a full account of the patient's reactions to the war so that we can consider whether you are likely to do more good by making him an extreme patriot or an ardent pacifist There are all sorts of possibilities. In the meantime, I must warn you not to hope too much for a war. Of course, a war is entertaining. The immediate fear and suffering of the humans is a legitimate and pleasing refreshment for our myriads of toiling workers. But what permanent good does it do us unless we make use of it for bringing souls to our father below? Hmm? When I see the temporary suffering of humans who finally escape us, hmm, I feel as if I had been allowed to taste the first course of a rich banquet and then deny the rest. It is worse than not to have tasted it at all. The enemy, true to his barbarous methods of warfare, allow us to see the short misery of his favorites, only to tantalize and torment us, to mock the incessant hunger which, during this present phase of the great conflict, his blockade is evidently imposing. Let us therefore think rather how to use than how to enjoy this European war. For it has certain tendencies inherent in it which are in themselves by no means in f- our favor. We may hope for a good deal of cruelty and unchastity, but if we are not careful, we shall see thousands turning in this tribulation to the enemy, while tens of thousands do who do not go so far as that will nevertheless have their intention their attention diverted from us to values and causes which they believe to be higher than themselves i know that the enemy disapproves many of these causes but that is where he is so unfair he often makes prizes of humans who have given their lives for causes he thinks bad on the monstrously sophistical ground that the humans thought they good thought them good and were following the best they knew and consider too what undesirable deaths occur in wartime okay Men are killed in places where they knew they might be killed and go. And men are killed in places where they knew they might be killed and to which they go. If they are at all of the enemy's party prepared. How much better for us if if. How much better for us if all humans died in costly nursing homes, yeah, amid doctors who lie, yeah, nurses who lie, yeah, yeah, friends who lie as we have trained them, promising life to the dying, yeah, Uh, encouraging the belief that sickness excuses every indulgence, and, uh, and even if our workers knew their job. Withholding all suggestion of a priest, lest it should betray to the sick man his true condition. Don't let him know his true condition by letting him see a priest. And how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death. Don't let them remember death. Don't don't let them think about death at all, which war enforces. Hmm. One of our best weapons. Contended worldliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is rendered useless. Mm -hmm. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. I know that scab tree over there and others have seen in wars a great opportunity for attacks on faith. But... uh, I think that view is exaggerated. Mm, The enemy's human partisans have all been plainly told by him uh, that suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. So that a faith which is destroyed by a war or a pestilence, that faith cannot really have been worth the trouble of destroying. I am now speaking, I am speaking now of. Diffused suffering, meaning over a long period, such as the war will produce, of course, at the present, at the, of course, at the precise moment of terror, bereavement, or at the moment of physical pain, you may catch your man when his reason is temporarily suspended. But even then, if he applies to enemy headquarters, hmm, I have found that the post is nearly always defended. Hmm. Uh, your affectionate uncle screw tape. Hmm.
1: Beep. End of chapter five. I will and
0: Please understand my heart I'm choking for a true love Before I had my heart broken Why are the sweetest dreams The ones we wake up the quickest from You yeah, have the beautiful eyes You yeah, the spirit in yeah, you If you're willing Let me be close to you This is a girl's lonely heart. Put a veil on her. Don't let her cry any longer. Guys, I'm going to share with you my all-time favorite, all-time favorite. I could never play this on the violin. I tried my hardest. I got knuckle, white knuckle ca- calluses and everything. And I could not play this. It's so beautiful. It's called Butterfly Lovers. It's only two minutes, but it's a huge concerto. It's it's huge. It's long. It's a huge, beautiful story. It's called Butterfly Lovers. It's available on just YouTube, Butterfly Lovers, whatever. two two but it's only one string but it's is it two string or one string it's one string looped connected by two points connected by two points and you keep asking me and that's what i'm thinking of right now pain and pleasure on one string that's what you keep asking me and this is what i'm seeing right this is what i picture i can't explain it But this is what I, this is, yeah, there you go. You just heard it. (laughs) This instrument is on one string. It's kind of like a reverse uh, violin, one string. Violin has four. Guitars have six, right? Something like that. But this one only has one string. Everything you just heard right there, mm, the melody, Mm -hmm. What you don't see is me playing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like pretending I'm actually playing the instrument, because my dad used to play it. And uh, and, pre- and he, he would, my, mom, my mom was a singer. My dad was the instrument. So my mom would always tell me how to sing. And she was like, pretend you're an instrument. Use your abdomen. Use your qigong. <laughs> So I'm just, that's what I'm doing <laughs> Anyways, so much fun But yeah, there's a longer version There's, it's really, really long It didn't even get to the best part Alright, this one 13 minutes Let's give it a chance As a pretty girl on the cover, good enough <laughs> Oh, it's a duet, duet Ooh, concerto, ooh, live, live One in white, one in red Look at that, look at that, look at that This is part one. This thing is really long. I'm telling you, it could be like an hour to get through the the allegros, the slows, the the highs, the lows. It's this long story about these two beautiful lovers.
1: Of hair. Callick wants a move. Wait. Trim it above the natural bend. Cut it long or short, nothing in between. Crush it! <laughs> Next up, lumpy heads.
0: Chapter six. My dear Wormwood. I am delighted to hear that your patient's age and profession make it possible but by no certain means but by no means certain that he will be called up for military service we want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, yeah, every one of which mm, arouses hope and fear. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety (laughs) for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants men to be certain with what they do. Our business is to keep them from, uh, is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Yeah. Your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. But the enemy means by this, what the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience, accept with patience, what the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him. The present anxiety, the present anxiety and suspense, right? Okay. It is about this that he is to say uh, quote thy will be done unquote. And for the daily task of bearing this uh, that the daily bread be provided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is your business to see that the patient Never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I should think of my fear as my appointed cross, okay. But only of things he is afraid of. It is your business to see that the patient thinks only of the things he is afraid of. Uh Uh-huh. Let him regard them as his crosses. Let him forget. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, not compatible, let him forget that they cannot all happen to him. Duh. Like, if you really think about it, all those stuff can't really happen to you. (laughs) Uh, like, like you used to. I used to be. Uh, they're like, oh, don't drink coffee. It's bad for you. And then my uncle, they they said he had like started. He drank so much coffee. He started pooping out blood. And so I was like, oh, okay, bad. Coffee's bad for you. Bad for you. And then I see years later in the newspaper when I started reading it, said, oh, coffee's really good for you. You know one coffee a day, really good for you, so I'm like, okay, now I'm confused, maybe they found something, something new, a couple years, yada, yada, went by, and then again, but coffee's bad for you, uh-huh, next year, coffee's good for you, I said, you know what, <laughs> I ain't listening to you no more, <laughs> and then guess what, my son had asthma, really bad asthma for two years, I went to the hospital, I did everything they told me to do, I give them things, it don't work, and guess what, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the internet, I'm going to search for organic solutions, and guess what, organic coffee with pure honey from Starbucks, no more asthma. Well, it helped, and then I got something even better, but that was on my journey, that was the first step on my journey to go natural, and, I, and finding things for my family that work for us that... Anyways, I'll talk to you later. I got to go because baby's crying. Okay, we're in the middle of six. Okay, I'm back and fully recharged. All right, so now we're just going to pick back up at the top of the graph where we left off. Your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him, a.k.a. the present anxiety and suspense. It's like a surprise party. It is about this that he is to say, thy will be done, you see. And for the daily task of bearing this, that the daily bread will be provided see it is your business to see wormwood that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross but only of the things that he is afraid of make sure he thinks of things that he is afraid of don't you, you get it now right so to fight him we have to Just bear our daily cross and ask for our daily bread through that. Exactly. Let him regard them as his crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. And let him try to practice fortitude and patience. I have fortitude and patience to them all in advance. For real resignation at some point, to a dozen different and hypothetical fates. Now, I am only in union with one. Oh, for real resignation, at the same moment, to a dozen different and hypothetical fates is almost impossible, and the enemy does not greatly assist those who are trying to attain it. Resignation resignation to present and actual suffering even where that suffering consists of fear as far is far easier and is usually helped by this action what's he trying to say here I don't know I don't know. I don't care. He's confusing me and I'm just going to focus on the part where it says I trust in God. Only one. Sounds good. No bunch of different hypothetical fates and different dozen of impossibilities. Yeah, they're not going to happen. No fear. My God is mightier than anything you can make up. Go ahead. Let's play a mental game call. Let's create my superhero versus your superhero. Yeah, let's see who's going to win. Come on. Game time. I'm like a child. Don't you know? An important spiritual law is here involved. Oh, yeah? What is it? I have explained that you can weaken his prayers. Okay, so you think. Weaken his prayers by diverting his attention from the enemy. Your enemy, my God. By diverting his attention from the enemy himself to his own state of mind about the enemy. So he's trying to divert your attention from God to your own state of mind about God. Subjective versus objective. Then we cover that? You say it's a hunk of rock. I say it's a crystal. You say it's a punk of, hunk of metal on the road, I say it's a car. Subjective. Objective. We can both agree it's a rock. But as far as how we feel about it, that's subjective, depending on the person. Opinion, personal preference, favorites, whatever. Get it? Got it? Good. When you speak in objective terms, he cannot argue with because it is truth. That's what God gave us on Calvary. You're welcome. An important spiritual law is here involved. That's what I'm talking about. I have explained that you can weaken his prayers. Don't let him weaken your prayers by doing this. You can weaken his prayers by diverting his attention from the enemy himself to his own states of mind about the enemy. So what you think God is versus what God actually is is completely wrong. That's this whole message. You think you can see? Okay, well, if you think you can see, then you'll never listen to me and then you'll remain in your sin. You're in a prison buzz. I'm trying to free you. You don't know that. You don't want to help me. You think, oh, I there's no walls. Okay, it's an invisible wall. No, it's not. Go look up the show called Brain Games and Social Conformity. Ding! get up, ding, get up, ding, get up, ding, go to school, ding, drive your car, ding, red, green, yellow, uh-huh. Tell me you're not socially informed. Go ahead. On the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the thing feared to the fear itself. Consider as a present and undesirable state of his own mind. On the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the thing feared to the fear itself. I have no fear. Fear is only there for me to conquer it, you see. Overcome. Overjoyed. want some? No? Fine. On the other hand, uh-huh, consider as a present and undesirable state of his own mind. Whatever. a State of grace. And when he regards the fear as his appointed cross, he will inevitably think of it as a state of mind I don't know what you're talking about yapping about all I have to say is state of grace where's grace exactly go answer that what can you? Can somebody ask me so I can answer this question if you listen email me because nobody's listening nobody ever emails me one can therefore formulate the general rule what's the general rule In all activities of mind, which favor our cause. So you're going to use everything to your advantage. If it favors you, you say yes. If it doesn't favor you, you say no. If it helps you to say no, you'll say no. If it helps you to say yes, you'll say yes. It really doesn't matter. Whatever to get the next clickbait. Dollar. Uh Uh-huh. Trend that the wheel. I got you. I ain't no, I'm, I'm not for that. No, 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 no. We ain't for that. One can therefore formulate the general rule on all activities of mind which favor our cause. Encourage the patient to be unconscious and to concentrate on the object, but in all activities favorable to the enemy, bend his mind back on itself. Let an insult, or a woman's body. So fix his attention outward that he does not reflect. He would not think, oh, I am now entering into the state called anger or the state called lust. Where am I? I don't know. I'm so angry. Why? I don't know. I just need to be angry about something. Every time I open my mouth, it just comes out as angry and I cannot stop it. Been there, done that, I know. I understand. That's what he tries to do. That's why we have to be master of our flesh. By mastering the spirit, the invisible. He cannot read our minds. He can only guess. Contrarywise, let the reflection... This is what he... Alright... My feelings are now growing more devout. Oh, yes, I feel so devout. And more charitable. Oh, yes, look at all I've done. So fix his attention. All right, here it is. (laughs) What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Nothing, right? Okay, fine. So fix his attention inward. That he no longer looks beyond himself to see our enemy or his neighbors. Yeah, that's what's wrong with that. Unbalanced. Self-centered, too much. For yourself by yourself.
1: <sighs>
0: the the true the movie beautiful mind, he came up true story. He came with the came up with the economic theory. Um, at a bar, actually, his graduate degree, Ph.D., he was writing his theory, thesis, and he wrote, and he observed something at a bar. It was him and his friends. And, you know, ten guys, ten girls, right? Some girls are prettier than others. Some guys are more attractive than others, yada, yada. You know, ten girls want to get with ten guys. Ten guys want to get with ten girls, or else they wouldn't be in a bar. Got gotcha. So then, let's play out a few scenarios in our head and see what happens. This is his theory. So he noticed that there was one girl who's really, really pretty, like so pretty that it makes the other girls, even though they're all pretty in their own way, makes all the other girls not as pretty in his eye. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right, right, okay, great. But. It seems that all the guys keep macking on this one girl. So he says to himself, what should I do? Either I can go mack on that girl. What would would happen? Um, I'd just be competing with him like everybody else. Competing for her like everybody else. I would have to find a way to set myself apart. Or I can go for one of the other nine girls, hello. So anyways, during this whole contemplation and seeing everything work out in that bar that night, he came up to this conclusion. He said, you know, the best win-win situation, or what I would call triple win, win-win-win, because I'd like things in three, don't you? Minimum, right? I would say, he says, the best scenario would for each guy to go With the girl that attracts him the most. But why is it that all these same guys go for the same... Nine guys go for the same girl? Is it because she's more beautiful than the others? Right? I don't know exactly what he said. It's been, I don't know how many years since I've seen this movie. But to me, it said... It's all wrong. Everything we think... It's like we're being told what we want, what we should want, to what we should be. We're being told how we should think, how we should use our time, what we should value. We're being told, we're being taught, we're being told that we're being taught. <laughs> Never have we been free. Understand? We are in an invisible prison, which my husband lovingly calls the prison buzz, and we don't even know it. And God is trying to awaken us to this fact because we're an invisible prison. You cannot see the walls, but you can feel them. What do I always say? Glass ceiling. I don't know why. I can't get beyond a certain point. I don't know why. This, that... What I'd like to call, the unhappy sandwich. Not so happy. You're not so happy, but then you're not so sad either. You see, you're not so depressed that you're gonna kill yourself, but then you're never happy enough to call it happy, or like overjoyed, or like unfulfilled, or like I can die happy now. You're never there, but you're never sad enough to kill yourself either. That's that happy Oreo medium that he likes. The devil likes to keep us in lukewarm, or as God likes to put it. Did you know if you look up lukewarm, it's used for vomiting in ancient Greek? What happened was the Romans came with the the via, the water system, those arc bridges, Oh, what's it called? Um, but that's where the original word via in Latin came from. They would bring the water from the mountains and by the time it would travel down this, um, oh, what is it called? You know what I'm talking about. The beautiful things that come, the, 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 the via, they call it the via. And it would filter it as it came down, at a, because it was built at a very specific slope. So by the time coming down to the city, that's how Rome grows so, fa- so fast to conquer so much land, was because they, were built, they knew how to bring water, you see you see. And they had standards and they had formations and it was organized and it was everybody followed orders and they obeyed and God and moved God's heart. Remember the centurions? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, anyways. So they brought down the water and they would bring up waters from hot places and by the time it got to the city it would be room temperature, and the what's the cold water from the mountain, by the time it got t- down to the valley, it would be room temperature, or what we call lukewarm, and if you drank it, it would make you vomit, which is what I've been drinking, lukewarm water, because I don't know, just, and I didn't understand, because I kept chewing on it, chewing on it, I said, like, what is this lukewarmness, God, I don't want to be vomited out of your mouth, please help me understand lukewarmness. Anyway, that's just my little spin-off story. All right, let's get back to it. If I can ever finish this, stop talking. All right, I'm going to stop talking for a second and come back. I don't even know where I am. If you don't like me yapping, email me. Nobody ever emails me. All right. Basically, let an insult or a woman's body so fix his attention outward that he does not reflect quote, "i am now entering into the state called anger or the state called lust" unquote, period contrarywise let the reflection quote, "my feelings are now growing more devout and more charitable" unquote so fix his attention inward that he no longer looks beyond himself to see our enemy or his neighbors. As regards his more general attitude to the war, we must not rely too much on those feelings of hatred, which humans are so fond of discussing in Christian, or anti Christian periodicals, whatever. In his anguish, the patient can, of course, be encouraged to revenge himself by some vindictive feelings directed towards the German leaders, and this is good so far as it goes, but it is usually a sort of melodramatic or mythical hatred directed against imaginary scapegoats. He has never met these people in real life. They are lay figures uh, modeled on what he gets from newspapers, you know, tabloids, celebrities, so forth. The results of such fanciful hatred are often most disappointing, and of all humans, the English are in this respect the most deplorable milk They are creatures of that miserable sort who loudly proclaim that torture is too good for their enemies, and then give tea and cigarettes to the first wounded German pilot who turns up at the back door. Do you do what you will. There is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors whom he meets every day and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not know. The malice thus becomes wholly real and the benevolence largely imaginary. There is no good at all in inflaming his hatred of Germans if at the same time a pernicious habit of charity is growing up between him and his mother, his employer, Okay a pernicious habit of charity is growing up between charity is growing up between him and his mother charity is growing up between him and his employer charity between him and the man he meets in the train think of your man as a series of concentric circles his will being the intermost, his intellect coming next, and finally his fantasy. Will, intellect, fantasy. You can hardly hope at once. To exclude from all the circles everything that smells of the enemy. But you must keep on shoveling all the virtues outward. Until they are finally located in the circle of fantasy. Shovel all the virtues in the circle of fantasy. And all the desirable qualities inward. Into the will. Desirable Will. It is only insofar as they reach the will and are there embodied in habits that the virtues are really fatal to us. When our habits reach and our will combine our will is embodied. His will is embodied in our habits. That's when Our virtues really are fatal to Satan and his demons. I don't, of course, mean what the patient mistakes for his will. The conscious fume and fret of resolution and clutched teeth. But the real center, what the enemy calls the heart, All sorts of virtues painted in the fantasy are approved by the intellect or even in some measure loved and admired. We'll not keep a man from our father's house. Indeed, they may make him more amusing when he gets there. (laughs) Your affectionate uncle. Screw End of chapter six. Chapter seven. My dear Wormwood, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient in ignorance of your own existence. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, at least not yet. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize, mythologize, oh, I have great hope that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is, in effect, a belief in us, a belief in us, though not under that name, will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is a belief in us will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in God. The life force, the worship. The worship of sex and some aspects of psychoanalysis may here prove useful. If once we can produce our perfect work, our perfect work, the materialist magician, the man, not using but veritably worshipping what he vaguely calls forces, quote unquote force, let the force be with you while denying the existence of spirits, then the end of the war will be in sight. But, in the meantime, we must obey our orders. The fact that devils, quote-unquote devils, are prominently comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of our existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in uh, red tights and uh, persuade him that uh, since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. You know, it It's an old textbook method of confusing them. I had not forgotten my promise to consider whether we should make the patient an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. All extremes except extreme devotion to God are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but at this time. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them yet faster asleep. Other ages, of which the present is one, are unbalanced, unbalanced, and prone to faction. And it is our business to uh, inflame them. Any small contrary c o t e r i e any small country bound together by some interest which other men dislike or ignore tends to PLM, tends to develop inside itself a hothouse, mutual admiration and towards the outer world a great deal of pride and hatred which is entertained without any shame because of the cause yeah is it's sponsor and uh, it is thought to be impersonal it's not personal even when the little group exists originally for the you know enemy's own god for god's own purposes this remains true we want the church to be small not only that fewer men may know the enemy you know may know god but also that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and the defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or a clique. Yeah, yeah. The church herself is, of course, heavily defended, and uh, we have never yet quite succeeded in giving her all the characteristics of a faction, but... uh, subordinate factions within her have often produced admirable results from the parties of Paul and of Apollos at Corinth back down to the high and low parties in the Church of England. If your patient can be induced to become a conscientious objector, he will automatically find himself one of a small, vocal, organized, and unpopular society. And the effects of this, no one so new to Christianity, will almost certainly be good, but only almost certainly. Has he had serious doubts about the lawfulness of serving in a just war before this present war began? Is he a man of great physical courage, so great that he will have no half-conscious misgivings about the real motives of his pacifism? Can he, when nearest to honesty, feel fully convinced that he is actuated wholly by the desire to obey the God, to obey God. No human is ever very near. If he is that sort of man, his pacifism will probably not do us much good. And the enemy God will probably protect him from the usual circumstances of belonging to a sect. Your best plan in that case would be to attempt a uh, sudden, confused, emotional crisis from which he might emerge as an uneasy convert to patriotism. Yeah, such things can often be managed, but if he is the man I take him to be, try pacifism. Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then, let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then,
1: quietly
0: and gradually nurse him onto the stage. Which the religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce. In favor of the British war, yeah. An effort of pacifism, yeah, peaceful protest. The attitude that the attitude in which you want to guard against is that. In which temporal affairs, temporal affairs, are treated primarily as material or obedience. Yeah, temporal affairs is the primary material for obedience. Once you have made the world, the end all and be all, the goal, the end, an end, okay, an end. Once you have made the world an end. Comma and faith a means You have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing, provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers. And sacraments and charity. He is ours and the more quote unquote religious the more securely ours on those terms. I could show you a pretty cage full down here comma your affectionate uncle Screw tape End of Chapter seven Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father, you have told me to be silent many years I offer this podcast up to you, Father as a tribute for you to do as you wish to date, I have not marketed this podcast I've only sent it to close friends and associates I, Father, offer this podcast up into your holy hands Lord, I give you all I have, I can do I have learned, is all from you, Lord I have been securely sitting in your hands this whole time. And I thank you for letting me finally see that. I want to do something to show you that I care. I want to obey your call to feed your lambs. Father, this is the only way I know how. (laughs) Let your death not be in vain. Let your words not be in vain. we can continue. Okay. Chapter 8. My dear Wormwood, so you have great hopes that the patient's religious phase is dying away, huh? Have you? I always thought the training college had gone to pieces since they put old Slubgob, gob at the head of it, and now I am sure. Has no one ever told you about the n- law of undulation? Humans are amphibians, lizard brain, half spirit and half animal. The enemy's, God's, determination to produce such a revolting hybrid is one of the things that determined our fathers to withdraw his support from him. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. (laughs) Their nearest approach to consistency, therefore, is undulation. Oh yeah, okay, let me explain. The repeated pattern to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks, peaks and valleys. Picture a lake. I'm picturing a lake with ripples. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. All right, here it is. His interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up been down, don't they? Yeah, friends come and go. You want to eat this, you want to eat that. You switch jobs hoping you'll get better. As long as his lives on earth, periods of as long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily riches and loveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not your workmanship, as you fondly suppose. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless we make, unless you make A good use of it. To decide what the best use of it is, we must ask what use the enemy wants to make of it, and then do the opposite. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, a human is primarily, well, food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours. The increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy God demands of men is quite a different thing, you see. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not mere propaganda, mm. as one would gladly believe, I wish, but an appalling truth. Yep, truth. Truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose lives, on its miniature scale, will be qualitatively like his own. Qualitatively like his own. His own not because he has absorbed them but because their wills freely conform to his we want cattle who has no we want cattle who can finally become food he wants servants who can finally become sons We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below is drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy God wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And that is where the trough comes in. You must have often wondered why the enemy God does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree. He chooses and, and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use? <sighs> Merely to override a human will would be for him useless, as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do he cannot ravish he can only woo for his ignoble idea is to eat the cake and have it too well wow. the creatures are to be one with him, but yet themselves. Merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. He doesn't want that. He is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which, though faint, seemed great to them with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation but he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Mm. Sooner or later he he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience all those supports and incentives he leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during these such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature that he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best we can drag our patience along by continuing continual tempting because we design them only for the table and the more their will is interfered with the better he cannot tempt to virtue as We do to vice. (laughs) He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy, God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. But of course, the troughs afford opportunities to our side also. Next week, I will give you some hints on how to exploit them. Mwahaha, your uncle. Screw tape. Even the liar lies some time, and even the liar tells the truth some time. Um duh okay. End of chapter eight. All right, song break When I was young. I never needed anyone And making love was just for fun Those days are gone Living alone I think of all the friends I've known But when I dial the telephone Nobody's home All by myself Don't wanna be all by myself anymore Hard to be sure Sometimes I feel so insecure And love is so distant and obscure Remain secure All by myself Don't wanna be all by myself Really? That's all the lyrics there is? Yeah, I don't wanna be by myself anymore. Okay, bye. When have I ever been alone? My father's always working, so I must work too. Let's get back to work. Chapter, you can try to get me off of this any way you want, but I'm going to finish reading this if it kills me. Okay, maybe not. Because you're dead already anyways. He is risen. I will proclaim until I see his face in front of me again. Chapter 9. My dear Wormwood, I hope my last letter has convinced you that the trough of dullness or dryness through which your patient is going at present will not of itself give you his soul, but needs to be properly exploited. What forms the exploitation should take, I will now consider. In the first place, I have always found that the trough periods of the human undulation provide excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations, particularly those of sex. This must surprise you because, of course, there is more physical energy and therefore more potential appetite at the peak periods. But you must remember that the powers of resistance are then almost at their highest. The health and spirits which you want to use in producing lust can also, alas, be very easily used for work or play or thought or innocuous merriment. The attack has a much better chance of success when the man's whole inner world is drab and cold and empty. And it is also to be noted that the trough, sensuality, is subtly different in quality from that of the peak, much less likely to lead to the milk and water phenomenon, which the humans call being in love, much more easily drawn into perversions, much less contaminated by those generous and imaginative and even spiritual concomitants which often render human sexuality so disappointing. It is the same with other desires of the flesh. You are more, much more likely to make your man a sound drunkard by pressing drink on him as an anodyne when he is dull and very weary, than by encouraging him to use it as a means of merriment among his friends when he is happy and expansive. Never forget... thy sacred will. Spirit of them both, thrice blessed, three in one. All glory to the Father be with his co equal Son. I sing to thee, great paraclete, while endless ages run. I can do it I can go again all right all right all right thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord three two all right thank you for that refreshing Gregorian chant I am now ready never forget that when you are when we are dealing with an with any pleasure in it's healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's playground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. Mm -hmm. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. (laughs) Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is at least... To which it is least natural, least rodolent, rodent, r e d o l e n t, rodolent, least rodolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever increasing craving, for an ever diminishing pleasure, is the formula. It is more certain and its better style to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. (laughs) Ferengi. That is what really gladdens our father's heart. And the troughs are the time for the beginning, the process. But there is even better way of exploiting the trough, I mean through the patient's own thoughts about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. His own thoughts about the trough. As always, the first step is to keep knowledge out of his mind. Do not let him suspect the law of undulation, that things go in cycles, and you haven't been around long enough to see it. Let him assume that the first ardor's fragrance of his love, love fragrance, Uh, perfume natural pheromone okay let him assume that the first adders of his conversion might have been expected to last and ought to have lasted forever yeah just like my baby screaming all right be back Do not let him suspect the law of undulation. Let him assume that the first ardors of his conversion might have been expected to last and ought to have lasted forever and that his present dryness is an equally permanent condition. Having once got this misconception well fixed in his head. You may then proceed in various ways. It all depends on whether your man is of the desponding type who can be tempted to despair or of the wishful thinking type we can going to be assured that all is well. The former, the desponding type, is getting rare among the humans. If your patient should happen to belong to it, everything is easy. You have only, did I get it right? It all depends on whether your man is of the desponding type who can be tempted to despair. Okay, so type one is desponding and can be tempted to despair. Or two, the wishful thinking dreamer. Depressed or dreamer? Yeah, okay. Who is assured that all is well. The former, which would be the first one, right? The sponding. Okay, great. Got it. So the, f- the sponding former type is getting rare among humans. Is it? People aren't depressed no more? No suicide hotline for none of us? Okay. If your patient should happen to belong to it, everything is easy. Just push them over the edge. You're almost there. <laughs> you have only got to keep him out of the way of experienced Christians—an easy task nowadays. To direct his attention to the appropriate passages in scripture, you know, sola scriptura—and then set him work, set him to work on the desperate design of recovering his old feelings by sheer will power. Yeah. And the game is ours. <laughs> if he is of the more hopeful type. Hmm. Your job is to make him acquiesce, right? He's hopeful, all is well. Your job is to make him uh, acquiesce in the present of, in the present low temperature of his spirit, and gradually become content with it persuading him that it is not so low after all. I mean, it's not not so bad. A week or two and you will be making him doubt whether the first days of his Christianity were not perhaps a bit, a little bit excessive. Talk to him about, quote, moderation in all things, unquote. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that, quote, religion is all very well up to a point, unquote you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderate religion is as good for us as no religion at all and much more amusing. Another possibility is that of direct attack on his faith. When you have caused him to assume that the trough is permanent, can you not persuade him that Quote, his religion phase, unquote. It's going to die away like all his previous phases. Hmm? I mean, how many New Year resolutions can you make every New Year's, right? Of course, there is no conceivable way of getting by reason from the proposition That says, quote, I am losing interest in this, unquote. To the proposition, this is false, unquote. But as I said before, it is jargon. Not reason you must rely on jargon j a r j a r g o n jargon, you know, like a lawyer, Liar, the more word face the mere word phase, it's always just a phase, phase, the mere word phase will rarely, will very, very, very likely do the trick. Just throw that in. It's a phase. I assume that the creature has been through several of them before. They all have. And that he always feels superior and patronizing to the ones he has emerged from. Not because he has really criticize them, but simply because they're in the past. You know. You keep him well fed on hazy ideas of capital P, progress. And capital D, development. And the uh, capital H, P, V. I historical point of view, I trust, and give him lots of modern biographies. Yeah, yeah, modern biographies to read, yeah. The people in them are always emerging from phases, aren't they? (laughs) You see the idea, okay. Keep his mind off the plain antithesis between true, capital T, and capital F, false. Yeah, keep his mind off that. Nice, shadowy expressions. It was a face. I've been through all that. And don't forget the blessed word, adolescent, Unquote. comma, your affectionate uncle, scrub tape. End of chapter nine. Chapter ten.
1: It's a good ending. It's a good ending. What ending? You asked me about the movie, right? Oh. It's a good ending if you see it. Okay.
0: What's it called again?
1: The Binding.
0: The Binding. All right, fine. Who bind who? I know. I'm, I, I I I left because I was getting freaked out. Cause that's why I said, I want you to tell me the ending before I watch it. Because I, I can't. It's too stressful for me. I can't. I need to know the ending. Before. That's why I read no. the ending. I, I when I read books, I read That's the ending first, idea. and then I go back. Even Michael's like, "You lie, Daddy. This it wasn't nothing scary at all." I was like,
1: <laughs> "You're right. I haven't seen this movie myself. It's not scary at all. I absolutely agree with you. But it is absolutely scary for everything for Daddy. In another way. In <laughs> another way."
0: It. devil does not want me to read this book i'm telling you if anybody can listen to this whole thing without getting interrupted kudos to you god help me chapter 10 My dear Wormwood, I was delighted to hear from Triptweez that your patient was, has made some very desirable new acquaintances, and that you seem to have used this event in a really promising manner. I gather that the middle-aged married couple who called, at his office are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficial. You see how the devil stirs up the baby every time he doesn't want me to read something? Mm-hmm. Rich, smart. So you put things in your life to stop you every day? Yeah, I'm telling you, you follow God, he will follow you and bug you until you stop. All right, I will be back. Bye-bye. Priority priorities. Whatever. See y'all later.